Welcome to the Faith is Not Blind podcast. I'm Sarah Devonier, and I'm here in the northeast of England in the UK, and I'm here with Elle. <laughs> Welcome. We're glad that you're here to share your story, and we really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Will you talk a little bit about your family and your sort of unique family situation growing up? Oh, gosh. Well, um, I was adopted into uh, well an LDS family. Um, my mother, my birth mother uh, was very keen that, that that should be the case. That uh, you'd be adopted into an LDS family? Yes. That's interesting. Yeah, even though she, she wasn't going out to church at the time. Um, she, she wasn't active, uh, but her mother was. Um, but despite the circumstances surrounding, she wanted me to be uh, with an, an LDS hmm. family. Interesting. So, and then I ended up moving from Chesterfield as a, as a baby and through to my parents here in the Northeast. And talk a little bit about your parents. Were they converts or how had they come to be members of the church, they were, your adopted parents? They were both converts. Um, my mother was brought up as a Methodist. And to be truthful, I don't really know how my dad was <laughs> kind of You need of, to ask him about kind that of story. <laughs> well, my dad died. <laughs> So, so, so but, ask your mom about I'll ask that my story. Mom, I will ask my mom. But <laughs> they they found each other within the gospel, within the within the church, and they met and they they married and um, and then their little family came about as is. So. so once you were adopted into that family, how was the environment in that home? Was it sort of a Christ-centered home? How, how was it growing up in that home? It was definitely Christ-centered, and it was a happy home. Mm -hmm. And I had, I was very fortunate in that initially my mother was at home with us, and then as I went into my teen years, my father was at home with us. So that was really nice because I got to connect very strongly I suppose with 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 both my parents and what a fantastic opportunity to have that especially before your dad passed away yeah, yeah. so you know, I really enjoyed the time with my dad in my teen years and and you'd think as a as a as a woman as a girl you'd want your your mother there when it's when you're a teenager but actually the way things worked out it was it was really nice yeah. but but it was very Christ-centered and the whole family home evening on a Monday night, church on a Sunday, and the stake was a lot bigger then. It covered a lot wider area. So my dad was on the high council and I remember we would, oh my gosh, we would go everywhere. I was barely in our ward at one point. So we would travel all over and I really enjoyed that aspect of it and yeah. meeting lots of people from different wards and things. So what did you enjoy about the doctrines of the church? Were there any doctrines that for you at an early age specifically rang true? Do you know what's really sad here? <laughs> I'm, I'm painting this picture for you of a family home evening going to church every Sunday. My parents did, they read their scriptures, they encouraged us to to kind of be part of that. But as a child, I, I actually felt completely disengaged mm -hmm. from, from everything that was happening. And I didn't, church was a thing and we did it, 
but I didn't, I, I guess I just didn't connect. I just yeah. didn't connect all the dots. And uh, my parents, uh, they taught us all the stories that I guess other children who were growing up in the church get taught. Um, we read the scriptures as a family. We prayed every night. We had family home evening, all these things. But I just, I don't know what it was. I just never kind of took it fully into my yeah. life and into my being as a person. So it was mostly just child. family activity, more of a social thing, but not, not necessarily a spiritual thing for you. No, no. It was just something that we, that yeah. we did and so, that I went along so with. So what changed that? Well, uh, where we're sat at the moment, actually, this particular ward, um, a lot of my, uh, a lot of uh, my friends were kind of were here, and I, once kind of seminary and things like that hit, which again, sadly, I didn't attend. Um, they, uh, they were here, and. I would come over to various activities that were happening in this ward and I loved to dance um, and, and sing and do all these things and at the time those were the activities that were taking place over here and so I began to truly connect with quite a large group of friends over, over here and again even though I didn't it still wasn't that I was like suddenly like oh the gospel is wonderful and, and I'm totally immersed in it and and this is this is me uh it was still a gradual process but because of those friends and yeah. because of the way that they behaved acted um towards me especially i i just started to see the good <laughs> in the gospel and started to explore a little bit more at that stage and so it was really gradual and more of a social thing and a, a, a testimony of friendships that sort of blossomed and evolved into one that became a friendship with God. So yeah, absolutely. At, at what point did you recognize I'm in this place and I'm not just dancing and I'm not just with friends, but I'm with God? Well, I actually attended one seminary class a and very a, important a very seminary. a very important <laughs> seminary class and this is going to sound terrible especially like i say when i've painted this picture of growing up in the gospel um but i was i was in this seminary class and they showed the video of joseph smith and him praying in the grove of mm -hmm. trees i was like why didn't anybody tell me about this this is amazing why why isn't this story being told to everybody? It was like I'd just completely missed the point entirely. And I'm sure my parents did tell me about Joseph Smith. Um, but you were really hearing it for yeah. the first time in an engaged way. Yeah, so and I was it like, was wow. the first time you truly heard it. Mm. So what appealed to you about that story? It was literally that, that he had that courage and he wanted to just ask the question. It was just... A really simple question you know like okay so which church do I do I go to what what do I do and he was at that point in his life and a young boy and I suddenly kind of connected with this person who lived a hundred years before me and I was thinking yeah I could 
I could do this. I could try this out, this whole praying thing so by did myself. You? Absolutely. And what happened? I, straight away for me, um, it kind of hit me and I knew. And it was, it was kind of awe-inspiring because my friends were already there. <laughs> They'd already been there and done that. And, and were, um, were, again, I, I'd like to think anyway, they might tell you differently, but fully immersed in the, within the gospel. But watching that very old video, it was a very old school <laughs> video as well, as you can probably imagine. But watching that and then taking that home with me and saying, I want to do this and I actually need to find out for myself as well. Uh, whether this is the real deal or not. Uh, and that's the point where, and again, it was still, it was slow. It was, you know, I still had to find my feet within the faith and, and find, find out who I was, because yeah. I was still a teenager and still, you know, distracted by all the bright lights that were going on around me. But having that experience and having these amazing friends uh, within the church just really yeah. helped me. One reason that I appreciate your story so much, we've, we've asked a lot of people their stories and everyone is different. And everyone is about the same truths. <laughs> yeah. And what a fantastic thing for you to be immersed in the gospel and let yet not to see it really no. until you saw it and you chose to see it. Mm -hmm. And then you were shocked and amazed yeah. and, and loved it. Joseph Smith. <gasps> yeah. And, and, <laughs> and it's wonderful. You wanted to shout it from the rooftops. Yeah. And you get to that point and it probably felt like you had arrived. Finally, mm. I'm, you might have felt like a late bloomer. I've gotten here. Yeah. What happened after that that might have tested that excitement and that new testimony? Were there difficulties that happened in your life after that to test it? Absolutely. And I think when you're, when you're younger, there's many tests of faith and, and you're challenged a lot. And, um, but it's like Heavenly Father is always giving you a nudge. I've always felt that with myself anyway, that Heavenly Father's always been there kind of giving me that nudge and that help that I needed to, to get back on track when things uh, haven't, been so, haven't been so good and haven't been so great. And uh, for me particularly, um, a real, I think the absolute real test of faith came uh, as I was preparing to be married and the the build up you know for the marriage it's all very exciting and you you you're busy preparing you're trying to find your dress you're looking for the bridesmaids you're doing everything and in the midst um of all of this preparation and this excitement and i'm i'm older like i got married when i was older i was 30 when i was married which i know is is ancient isn't it if we're in, no. the <laughs> in our faith it's, it's or it feels all, that yeah, way yeah it's also it relative that way. and it's not right <laughs> but 
we were so excited about that this was about to happen and um, I'd found totally by accident this amazing wonderful man and my family loved him and my dad especially had a connection with my husband with Eddie and Eddie spent a lot of time at our house and he spent a lot of time getting to know my dad and literally the month before we got married my dad suddenly passed away and we and the thing is for me um it was funny because at christmas he wasn't very well this was the april he passed away and at christmas he wasn't very well and heavenly father spoke to me through the spirit and he told me then that my dad wasn't going to be there for my wedding and I knew it then, but I didn't mention it to anybody. I didn't talk to anybody about it. Because obviously it weighed heavy on my heart. But Heavenly Father knew that I needed that warning. And so I knew for certain my dad wasn't going to be there. But obviously it's still awful and it's a shock. And... Um, However, we were safe in the knowledge that he loved my husband. He uh, had been involved in a lot of the preparations and just literally that couple of weeks before, he had helped me pick out the, the bridesmaid dresses for, my, for Eddie's sisters. Um, we'd found the perfect dresses and my dad was running around all over with me. Again, you'd think this is something you'd be doing with your mother, right? But. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, she, she was still working. So my dad was running around and doing all these preparations and trying on dresses with the girls and everything. And so we had this wonderful time together, but then he passed. And we got married the May. And then, of course, you, you believe that that's the worst thing that could happen. So you know, from now on, life's going to be a bed of roses. We've had our, our tragedy. We've had our loss. And I found out I was pregnant in the September. And, of course, the excitement begins again. And everything is wonderful. And then I had my 20-week scan. And that's when they found out that the baby was very, very sick. And... They sent us to a, a specialist unit about an hour away in a different hospital. And before we'd gone to the unit, Eddie and I had prayed that whatever happened and whatever was said within this consultation, that we would know what to do in that moment. Because we knew we were already anxious and we were upset and we were worried. And after all the tests and a day long of scans and everything else, we were told that my life would be in danger if we carried on the pregnancy and that the baby wasn't going to survive. The baby was too sick, far too sick. And that's a whole other. Um, and they asked, they asked us uh, what you know, we wanted to do. Did we want some counselling or whatever? 
because they decided that the best thing would be to terminate the pregnancy because baby was just too sick. What I didn't know at the time was that I was going to have to give birth to that child. So my mum was very worried. She was like, we need to think about this. And Eddie and I were like, we've prayed about it. And we asked to know what to do in the moment. And we knew that the pregnancy had to end at that moment. So we just had a friend stay with us from America. He'd been on his mission here. And we got on with him really well. And he'd just spent four weeks with us at the house. And he had literally flown back 48 hours before this all happened. And I called him and I said, oh, Josh, I said, it's just not going to happen. And he wasn't active at the time in the church. He'd, he'd gone home and gone inactive. And he <laughs> got his credit cards, booked a flight. And he came straight back and he was there for us and um, and at that at that time at that moment despite the prayer that we'd had I was so angry I was so so mad and it seemed so unfair and we um, my friend flew back and then when I was in the hospital afterwards, um, one of my friends, Erin, um, she'd just recently lost her brother to uh, cancer. And she was terrified, and I mean terrified, of coming into hospitals. And yet she, she got in the car and she, she came to me. So I had my two really good friends there. And at the time I didn't recognize it but I know when we talk about Heavenly Father sending like these angels and people to surround us and comfort us, and I, like I said, I did not recognize this at the time, but he sent back Josh and he gave Erin the courage to get in the car, get into that hospital to be with me, because I know it took everything that she had to be able to, to come as well. And they supported me and they, and they loved me through it. And then after that, I was mad at God, which was silly. But I was so angry and I was, you know, doing the whole, why yours? Why did you do this to me? This isn't fair. Why would you do this? And I cut myself off and I decided that I wouldn't pray. I wouldn't do anything because what was going to happen was going to happen anyway. So I had this mm. attitude of kind of anger and content. I was contentious and I was like, I can do it alone. I can do this all by myself. So anything that happens after this, I'm doing it myself. I don't need you. So I kind of started to go down this road and then I found out I was pregnant again. And we knew the same thing could happen. And we knew, we found out very early that it was a boy. We found out at nine weeks it was a boy because of tests that had been done. And we knew that this ran in boys, this issue that we had. And I panicked. 
And I was like, I'm having another boy. It's going to happen again. What do we do? And they had to do this quite invasive test, which was risky in itself to see if the same thing was going to happen again. And I rang my friend Josh <laughs> and I said, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, well, I can't come over. <laughs> Not this time. Um, but he said, I'll tell you what. He said, um, I'm going to ask all the women in my family to uh, do a fast. He said, I'll ask them to do a fast for you. And now, was he still not active in still the Still not active, <laughs> still not and coming out. And he was like, they need to do a fast. He's like, I'm on it, I'll be back in touch. My other friends as well in the States, same thing. They straight away said, we're going to do a fast. Tell us when the test is, we're going to do a fast. And I was like, what? And especially with Josh's family, I was like, these women don't know me. They've never met me. They've, they know nothing about me. And I was still kind of a bit like, okay, you can do what you like, but I'm, I'm not praying about it. I'm not thinking about it because I'm going to get my hopes up and you're going to do all of this and I'm going to be devastated and it's all going to go the same way. And we went for the test and everything was okay. <laughs> and we had Dante and I felt a fool. <laughs> um, forever doubting. And I knew that every single one of those women had fasted and prayed just for me, just at that point and just at that moment. And I knew that Heavenly Father was working through them again to get to me and say, Eleanor, stop this. Stop this now. Well, it's clear that you're a very social creature and that from the beginnings of your testimony with you starting to come and be with the youth through having your friends reach out to you through tragedy and in your relationship with your dad, these relationships are so important to you. Mm -hmm. uh, now that you've been through this and you've had other children and there have been ups and downs, relationships are so important to you and you had wanted to cut yourself off from yeah. your relationship <laughs> with God and you tried. I tried and, my best. And, 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 <laughs> and, other, and it was your friends who wouldn't let you. Yeah. Now that you, you know what you know, what makes you maintain the relationship with God now when it would be so easy, maybe easier, to cut him off? Why do you maintain it now? I maintain it now because I know that my dad is busy looking after these kids that I've lost and that they're not lost. And wouldn't I be silly if I <laughs> denied all of this and couldn't be with them again? Mm and couldn't be with my children, and couldn't be with um, my dad. Um, and, and I think of kind of all these pioneering women, it was, you know, and Jane Manning James especially. I love her story. And I just think, I can just imagine that if I throw in the towel and say forget it, that it it won't just be my dad, it'll be Jane as well, <laughs> and my kids. And they're all like, we told you so, what are you playing at? You know? 
So it's again, <laughs> again, it's these relationships, and I I want to see these people, yeah. and I want to be able to say, you know, I did it, and I pulled through, and I fought my way through, because I wanted to be with you, I wanted to see you, and and like I say, there's 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 two pieces of me back with my dad at the moment. I have two little ones up there. I have mm. Tyrell and I have Arrow. I called him Arrow because he broke my heart. The oh. second time it happened, it broke my heart. So little Tyrell and little Arrow are there with my dad. And I know that I know that he'll be teaching them the gospel now. And he'll be telling them about me. And they're in this relationship and with my dad and with other family members that have, have left the earth now. And and I want to be there too and, with them. Yeah, and that keeps you tethered to them, yeah. even if there are the angry moments. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, there are, and that's okay. You remind me of something I was thinking about earlier this morning with thinking of Jane Manning James and the saints who were in Nauvoo that they actually wrote on the walls of the Saint, on the walls of the Nauvoo Temple before it was burned down, the Lord has beheld our sacrifice come after us. And you give it a new meaning. The Lord has beheld your sacrifice and the sacrifice of your dad yeah. and those little babies. And you're coming after them, but you're also coming after them. You're reaching towards them. Yeah and your friends have come after you. Yeah. They have reached for you. And, and I love that, that you're, you're so involved in these relationships and that, that now you're not letting go and that they're not letting go of you. What a beautiful story. Thanks for sharing it, Elle. I appreciate your example. Thank you. <laughs>